We can be sad about Kobe and his other lesser-known passengers for ourselves, families, his former teammates, and his victim, who has to be inundated with their assaulter's name for the next few weeks. We can hold many incongruous truths as life is complex. That is from Tatiana Mack, just a tweet that really covered it for me. And then this other one, which I think for those who weren't fans and perhaps only know him as an accused rapist. Um, but this speaks more to like why we grieve people we never met. One, their work helped us get through a difficult time in our lives. Two, their work inspired our dreams and goals. Three, they modeled possibility. Four, their deaths trigger our grief of previous loss. And five, their passing activates our fears around death. And I think those five things cover a very wide swath of why Kobe Bean Bryant has been the paramount story in the world. On one side of this, we have the sexual assault. And on the other side, we have a tragic death. And somewhere in the middle of this, there was a basketball game. Yeah. And that is the yeah. that is the part that I think is sports people is so hard to... Like, th none of this has anything to do with sports, really. Like, if he was in any other industry, it wouldn't have hit us in our community, in our world, like it has. Because yeah. he he played basketball. So we wanted to do an episode of the Denver Stories about Kobe Bryant from the perspective of Denver Nuggets fans because we have a unique perspective for a number of reasons. There are a lot of teams that Kobe Bryant uh, beat during his professional career, but he ended three Nuggets playoff runs, and they never came. They, the closest they came was the Western Conference Finals, a playoff series that Basically, everyone thinks the Nuggets would have won the NBA championship had they gotten through uh, the Los Angeles Lakers in 2009. But also, of course, there was the events in Eagle, Colorado, where he was accused of sexually assaulting a college student that we will get into more that also shaped our view, especially of Kobe Bryant. And I remember when everything happened in Eagle, Colorado, being 12 at the time, and thinking, it sure does seem like news like this happens more often in Colorado than in other places, which was some the bias of being here, but seeing the world descend again on Colorado after Columbine, which was five years earlier, you just sort of feel like, why is it that this place that we live, these things happen where the national media descends for perceived tragedies mm -hmm. um and that was to me a kid who loved sports and read the paper every day to have kobe bryant be the number one story in the denver post for two years as an opposing laker i think that that is one of the things that if you didn't live here you would not understand about this story was not only did it happen here 
but it consumed Denver and Colorado for two years in, our, in shaping our view of Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I mean, even to this day, like reading through the Facebook posts, especially, and it's a very interesting time in that we're now in the Me Too era where a very credible sexual assault would not be forgiven in the way that Kobe Bryant was able to move past in 2004. And so you see a lot of the criticisms of him, and cri- more so, I think, which has polarized the debate more, is that there's criticism criticisms of the people who are mourning him and idolizing him. But you'll see in Facebook pages, like, I went to high school with the victim. I lived in Eagle, and I knew people who were on the jury that... At that time in Denver, the Front Range and even the mountain communities were a lot smaller than they are now. And although I think for many of us, we couldn't tell you exactly where Eagle, Colorado was, it was closer to home than anything else. In the same way that Columbine was in the metro area, but for a lot of us living in the city of Denver, you don't know about it, but it all just becomes... Denver and right outside of Denver. And so the, there was like a very local slant to it and conversations about it. And for yeah, me as a young kid who was a Nuggets fan, a basketball fan in general, I knew Kobe Bryant. He was a villain to me in so many ways just because he was so good and he routinely beat my Nuggets. Um, and during those first three championships, so he won three with Shaq, and then he won two in the latter part of his career, that Nuggets part. Um, he, They were so bad, and the Lakers were so good. Like, the Lakers and the Spurs were running the Western Conference at that point, that it was like, you just had those two teams. Yeah. Well, it was... <laughs> For us, it feels very important to talk about what Kobe meant to us, but I don't think there's anyone in L.A. who could, like, editorialize about their relationship to the Denver Nuggets. Like, we weren't even, like, kid brother teams, like the way that the Clippers or the Kings or the Suns could see it. Like, no one cared about the Nuggets except for us. But then, all of a sudden, with the sexual assault case happening... There were times when Kobe Bryant was in this small town of Eagle and the conversation was focused entirely around the case and then spoke to the larger issue. I mean, it's a trip. We're living in 2020 now. The case started in summer of 2004. We're 15, 16 years removed from it. When, When it happened, we were only eight years removed from the O.J. Simpson case. So all of the things about O.J. Simpson, which I I think it's hard, it's easy to argue that the O.J. Simpson case was way more clear-cut than anything in the Kobe Bryant case, and yet O.J. got away with it. So I think for a lot of the national conversation when we're talking about famous famous black athlete, white victims, the racial component played such a huge issue, and for a lot of people, they're like, okay, well, now they're trying to get Kobe because they couldn't get OJ. Um, and s- we were so young at the time. We were, I think we were both aware of those issues, but 
it was way less nuanced and it was just the impact of it as opposed to all of the different threads playing in. And I think the other thing that you have to remember is this was a time where we were getting our news from newspapers still. Like it wasn't, the internet wasn't what it is now. Um, Social media did not exist. Yeah, it's crazy. There was an article I read with the DA who prosecuted the Kobe Bryant case talking about how the defense team leaked this woman's name several times, and he, the DA has actually been instrumental in making sure that that's not allowed. You can get in trouble for that more. They accidentally released the DNA evidence to the media, and the media was sending death threats to the woman and the people around uh, who supported Kobe Bryant's innocence were sending death threats to the woman, to the DA, to everyone around this issue, and the, the town, the city of, you know, this whole, I don't know what it is, the municipality, whatever Eagle was, grew, doubled in size because of how much media went there. Like, just as many media people were there as citizens of this community yeah. while this trial was going on, and the pressure became so much that the victim decided she did not want to testify, um, partially fearing for her own safety. Another thing that was brought up was that at the time the defense was using her, her previous sexual history to slander her, which is also no longer allowed in these cases. So it was a completely different field for prosecuting these cases than we can even imagine mm -hmm. in 2020. And it, like, so inglorious. I, wrestling with the idea, um, in that if you look at just like the most the facebook comment version of the quote unquote facts is that he was accused of rape and then people a lot of people have brought up her sexual history and the component of slut shaming is like well that feels yucky and that's certainly not the way we want to approach things in 2020 um but you look at it like he was not convicted of rape. And a lot of people just want to leave it at that. And then I don't want to make it this side versus that side. But then people who are more critical of his mourning will be like, yeah, he wasn't convicted, but he wasn't acquitted. The victim decided not to take it to trial and settled out of court for an estimated $2.5 million. That is nearly as clear as admission of guilt. And I think, in a lot of ways, that's punishment. It's not the judicial way about it, but when we look at his legacy, that all fits into it. But the conversation has been so much around, like, this idea of conviction versus acquittal. And that's what's made the legacy that much more tainted. I think in men that we want to be, we have to accept, like, yeah we don't have a legal definition of what he did or didn't do, but we know something wrong happened. And that's like how we have to look at ourselves in the world and how we hold accountability. There's this quote that I like that came from a historian um, and I couldn't find who it was, but he said that most great men in history aren't particularly good men. And to me, that is the dichotomy of thinking about what happened with Kobe Bryant. Like, someone that looked to achieve greatness, did achieve greatness in many fields from NBA championships to Academy Awards to being in the conversation as one of the greatest NBA players of all time to growing the game internationally after the Michael Jordan era, but also 
doing things that did not make him a good man, both on and off the court, including this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the problem and the dichotomy that we're really dealing with is that you have to hold two thoughts in your head at the same time, and it is hard. It is a skill that has to be developed. It is something that is completely lacking in our culture as far as discourse goes. Right now, our culture is either or and not this and that. And that, to me, is the part that makes the Kobe Bryant story so complicated, is Mm -hmm. that how do you not separate the two? How do you say he did this thing, he also did these things, he also had this cultural impact? And we wrestle with this with other big celebrities. I mean, Michael Jackson, I think, is the one that we have seen so many times Mm -hmm. um, in the last few years. And I think in some ways his death in some ways mirrored this where we did not hear the stories of all of the things we felt like he did in the days after Michael Jackson died. We heard what he meant to people. Yeah. Well, even then, that was, what, 2010? I think 2009. 2009. Yeah. We, the social media world didn't exist in the same immediacy that it did. The fact that both of us went to social media to confirm Kobe's death and not ABC knew they didn't turn on the TV and flip to it. We accessed like the world within our um phones. And so this is an interesting time where even before you have enough confirmation that the person's dead. Their legacy is already being written and then rewritten, and then the fight happens underneath uh, from the different perspectives. And it's exactly right. We're in a place where we're trying to hold space for both things. Um, I think it's more important to support survivors of sexual assault than it is to celebrate Kobe Bryant. And it's hard not to feel the impact of this person's death because in a lot of ways, for both of us, we're millennials in our later 20s now, he was a piece of our childhood. And um, realizing that that's just going to happen more and more where we're going to lose those icons of what it meant to be a carefree kid, what it meant to be to care about a 2009 Nuggets team. And that's like the most important thing that happened is that they got beat by the Kobe Bryant Lakers. Yeah, and just I mean, I think we can we can move on to like what that translated to on the court. So yeah. he wasn't liked, but he never touched the basketball in Denver again after that without getting booed or worse. And I think you said that you saw him during the yeah, trial um, um play at Pepsi February twenty fourth, two thousand four. This was right in the middle of his court cases. And the way I remember it, which please come into our comments and correct me on the exact chronology, is that I got tickets to that game. Uh, Lakers came to Denver, and Kobe was already in Colorado because he had a court case. He had uh, One of the hearings happened. So he came down from... Eagle, and there was conversation like, is he going to play tonight? Because, you know, he just got out of court. And I feel like in today's game, he probably would have been suspended having to deal with all of this. Um, 
but uh, these were the best seats I ever got. Like it was my birthday, super excited. And every time he touched touched the ball, it wasn't just booze, but they were rhythmic chants of rapists. And um, of course, because all is fair in the sports world, like, especially then. Especially then, like you go to European soccer games and that's not the worst thing that gets yelled at people. And I remember being like 11 years old and taking part in this chant that I fully didn't understand, but I knew enough to feel like we don't want him to succeed. And the, But it still felt weird. It felt, now looking older, just like the dynamic of a nearly all-white audience yelling this thing at a black man feels way grosser than it did than the critical thinking that I could do. But that was his legacy in Denver for years and years after. Um, and, of course, he won that game. They won 112 to 111 behind his 37 points, I remember. And in a kind of messed up way, that added to his mythos in that through a situation that would break any person if there's an assumption of innocence, um, he played absolutely out of his mind, and it really felt like he would punish the Nuggets for what he had to deal with off the court in Eagle. And so that's holding space for two things where he has been vilified in my mind the entire time, but it was hard not to... And I don't want to say this word, but for lack of a better in this sense, is like respect the tenacity that he showed, the mamba mentality. Yeah, and I think that that one of the things that people have been talking about is, you know, he gave himself the nickname Black Mamba. He talked about the mamba mentality, and he has talked about how that came out of the negative situation that surrounded this event, that he created this mentality because he wanted to separate himself, basketball player and who he was as a person. And I think that that is another hard thing about this. Like one of the things pe people love about Kobe Bryant was one of the things he created out of this event. Mm -hmm. And really like the way to idolize, like Michael Jordan is forever going to be the face of the game. But Kobe with the intellectual component that he added to it really created a character that, transcended the game in that Mamba mentality doesn't have to be about basketball. It absolutely is on his uh, fadeaway jumpers that killed so many teams for so long. But it was, I think, an idea that he was still building and the is the more pure way to grieve is to think about his daughter who he had trademarked Mambasita. Um... And like that, that energy and that power is something that I, has to be lauded in terms of, um, as you had said, whether it's guilt or not, that he then became a steward for the game, not just on the professional level, but the college level. But he played a huge role in legitima legitimizing the women's, women's game. And that seemed like the course that his daughter Gianna was going to follow. And that's one thing that you can look at without having to carry all the weight and then just feel sad for that lost potential.
that loss and the three daughters he left behind who mm-hmm. now have to navigate this world without a dad who is a legend. Yeah, and, especially his youngest. I think it's like seven months that she will get to see so much of him, know everything about him except for him. Yeah, it's um, it's all still a lot to, to reconcile. I thought that Kobe embraced the booze he embraced the villainry in denver and actually booing him made him stronger which was one of the things that especially in later years when they got into those playoff series you're just like just don't boo because you're this isn't gonna work he was one of those players that could take all of that in yeah uh, (laughs) i have a tough relationship with nuggets fans and who we choose to boo relentlessly um but absolutely i think Looking from that perspective, that's like the way that you create a legend like him is that the adversity, although absolutely earned in this situation, is that he overcame it in ways it felt like you've only made me stronger. Um, and that, that's like that is a worthy villain to have. Like, if you want a great, if you want to have a great protagonist, you need a great antagonist, and Kobe was that for the Nuggets, especially that 2009 playoff series. One part of this that has been forgotten and then brought back up in all of this, in which Kobe Bryant did write an apology, um, and we don't know for sure if this was a part of this the civil case settlement. Mm-hmm. Like it, se- it seems like he just did this, and I guess we'll read the whole the whole thing. First, I want to apologize directly to the young woman involved in this incident. I want to apologize to her for my behavior that night and for the consequences she has suffered in the past year. Although this year has been incredibly difficult for me personally, I can only imagine the pain she has had to endure. I also want to apologize to her parents and family members and to my family and friends and supporters and to the citizens of Eagle, Colorado. I also want to make it clear that I do not question the motives of this young woman. No money has been made to this wo- paid to this woman. She has agreed that this statement will not be used against me in the civil case. Although I truly believe this encounter between us was consensual, I recognize now that she did not and does not view this incident the same way I did. After months of reviewing Discovery, listening to her attorney, and even her testimony in person, I now understand how she feels that she did not consent to this encounter. I issue this statement today fully aware that while one part of this case ends today, another remains. I understand that the civil case against me will go forward. That part of this case will be decided by and between the parties directly involved in the incident and will no longer be a financial or emotional drain on the citizens of the state of Colorado. So we don't see apologies like that anymore. Um, I think that the part that stood out to me in rereading it was just the part where he talks about consent. Um and says that he understands how she feels like consent didn't exist, which, mm-hmm. um, but I think, I think the other thing that isn't said here is that his side was the PR machine that was kind of ruining this woman's life. <laughs> um, like that's the part that sticks out with me still is it looks so easily like it was just this thing that happened, but we all know that it was LA lawyers against a small, DA in Eagle, Colorado, with no PR. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, do you have any thoughts on that before we? Yeah, I mean that's that's a hard thing to square. As I was reading it, thinking about all the different pieces, is that they wanted this. They wanted the outcome that they got, which is her to not want to go to trial, and that required questioning her credibility in a lot of ways. And um, what maybe was an okay dirty tactic in two thousand four is pretty reprehensible the idea of um saying that this woman's credibility could be questioned or that there's no way that she could have been sexually assaulted because she had had other sexual partners um but without having any if without using any context i look at this and this seems like the apology of someone who is sorry and I know that's tough and open to any criticism that that perspective takes. Like, in full disclosure, if you've never met Derek or myself, we are both straight identifying cis males. Um, and so the idea of rape culture doesn't exist or affect us in the way that it does for many of the women who have been struggling with Kobe's legacy. But I think about in the Me Too era, all the other men who have been accused or punished for bad deeds and I haven't read anything that sounds as sorry as this did. Like, the first thing, the whole first part talks about how sh what she has had to go through so far. Which, again, is Kobe's fault that she had to go through it in the first place. But uh, I think, is it, are you able to atone for your sins, admit culpability, without having to go to jail for it? And I think that's like the gray area in this is that he did end up settling in civil court for the estimated like $2.5 million. And the tarnishing of his legacy that he had to go through, is that a form of punishment or can it only be administered by the justice system, which in all honesty, like I think most of his, especially black and brown fans, don't see it as that clear cut because in so many ways we feel that the justice system is working against us and try to avoid that as much as possible. So I guess more clearly, is it possible for him to be sorry and to have this apology and what he has done since not absolve, his absolve the bad, but does it play a role in quote-unquote forgiveness i mean i think the hard part is the it, it doesn't for this woman yeah um i mean we haven't heard anything from her and i don't think we will um but i think that that's the hard that's the problem let that's the problem with this is it both things still remain true yeah and yeah. you know i don't if kobe had gone to jail from between four years for life to life like what does that look like what what remains there like mm -hmm. it's a it's all very i mean it's hard to say you know what happens if different things happen but it is it is the thing that we wrestle with with people like this and it is something that our country doesn't do particularly well i mean we we are the country that is founded by people where we have to ask this question over and over again, where we have to be like, 
how do you reconcile Thomas Jefferson uh-huh. as the founding document writer of our country? How do you reconcile George Washington when both men owned slaves or that John Adams was willing to compromise on slavery or that presidents were willing to drive out Native Americans and slaughter them basically with the way that they were treated through disease and war and exile. And that Kobe Bryant is another part of this where he is another person where you can't just say he's one thing or the other and write him off from history. And yeah. that that to me is the this part of this legacy that is so complicated and I don't I can't definitively give an answer. I I will say that I don't think I have been grieving Kobe Bryant the person. I have been grieving the absence of a part of my life that no longer exists. Yeah. Um and I think that especially here a lot more people are doing that. Um and I don't think you can tell other people how to grieve and that makes all of this very hard. But if you're asking this question or if you're not willing to ask this question, I don't think you're really doing justice to who Kobe Bryant was. Totally. And in so many ways being an icon of our society, like you're not asking that of yourself, like who are you? Um it's super tough. And uh, for this perspective as someone who was never a fan for purely basketball reasons, um, it's uh, it's okay to memorialize not great people. And I, mean, I think even if you do, if he is your hero, there's still space to accept the fact that he's a villain to others. There's no right answers here, but it's just super interesting, the conversation that a person's death can talk, like hold up a mirror to a lot of different things. And for us as Coloradans and Denverites who have had this relationship to this character, um, I hope that at some point soon we don't have to talk about it as much, but it's important, as you said, if you're unwilling to have these conversations, you're doing, I think, everyone a disservice. 